welcome to this episode of Stand Out, the podcast to better your business brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Listen in and you'll walk away with insights from exemplary members who share their business acumen and the newest ideas from authors and thought leaders relevant to the organizing and productivity industry. And now, here's your host, longtime NAPO member, Claire Kumar. I am thrilled to be with you again. I'm Claire Kumar, host of NAPO's podcast, Standout, Productivity Catalyst. And it's been such a wonderful journey talking to so many interesting guests over the years. What I'm excited to explore today is the topic of why paper still matters. Now, for those of you working as productivity or organization consultants, you will be quite familiar with a love-hate relationship sometimes that clients have with paper. I know for myself, a lot of times we would find bags and bags of paper, bookshelves of paper, filing cabinets of paper, a crock pot, a rooster crock pot in the kitchen that was the receipt storage interesting. So paper has a way of finding itself into so many interesting places. And I've noticed a serious diminishing of the use of paper in our lives. But I wanted to bring longtime NAPO member Julie Bestry on the show because she has an intimate understanding of paper. She's been known as the paper doll We'll get into what that means. But Julie is someone who goes in depth when she explores things. So let me tell you a little bit more about why Julie is here today, right? She is one of the inaugural members to achieve their CPO designation. And this is way back in 2007. She's not only a paper expert, she's Evernote certified as well, an Evernote certified consultant. She's been in business for over 21 years now, organizing in a holistic way, which means she looks at the tangible things. She looks at the temporal things, things related to time. She examines cognitive approaches to organizing, what we fear, how we handle processes, what our emotions are about things. She loves paper, but hates paper clips. She's been blogging since 2007. So if you want to deep dive into some of Julie's over 124,000 words this year so far, you can head over to Julie's blog and we'll make sure that that's in the show notes for you to find. She does these long reads. So why I thought it would be wonderful to dance with Julie in this interview is that she's a deep thinker. So she's after my own heart as a highly sensitive person who deeply thinks myself, but is not as prolific as Julie. I have a lot of respect for her curiosity, the depth and width to which she explores things. And I really invite you to listen and see what you might pick up in, in this interesting, fascinating topic exploration with Julie Bestry. Welcome to you, Julie. Hi, Claire. I'm really glad to be here. Oh, man, I've been looking forward to this. I think we've had this in the books for several weeks now, if not months. And yeah, I've been looking forward to it, too. So Julie, I've noticed personally, there's been a lot less paper in my life over the past few years, dramatic reduction in the amount of paper I need to buy. What are you noticing out there about how our relationship to paper has shifted over the past few years? Yeah, that's a great question, Claire. I think there are certainly areas where we have less paper. We are printing fewer photos. We used to have lots and lots of tangible print photos from the olden days where you had to 
like mail off your film and and get it back. But for a while there, people were printing their their own photos. Pretty much if somebody's looking at a photo, they're looking at it on their nice glossy screen that they're carrying around in their their pockets, which is fine, but but sometimes you want to just hold one photo close to your heart. Maps. Everybody depends on their GPS, on on ways, on the driving instructions. But there's a problem with that. First of all, kids and teens are not learning maps. So they're not learning directionality. They're not learning that deep knowledge. So if you have to get from your house to the doctor's office, you're getting some direct little facts that are going to tell you, okay, make your turn here, make your turn here. But you're not getting a contextual view of what's going on. You don't know where North is. Whereas if if you learn with a map, if you're going on a cross-country trip, AAA, when I was a kid, used to have trip ticks. Right. We had them in Canada too. And I'm doing a road trip in July, heading down to Nashville. And I want a trip tick. I want a trip tick so bad. And I don't even think AAA, I don't know if they use them anymore, but nobody nobody gets them. It's, it's these little areas where these discrete spaces in our lives that have changed because paper has been removed. And you're right, people aren't printing as much. They're not creating as much in paper, except the bullet journal people. But we're still getting paper. I can, I can tell you, you talked about the, the receipts stuffed in, in the rooster crock pot. People are acquiring paper. But even the receipts are diminishing though, right? Because when I go to a store now, there's a lot more, do you want the receipt? And it's like tossed somewhere. There's no shredding. There's no, there's less receipts coming in. There's less statements coming in there. Every business is, would you like to sign up for our paperless? I'm like, no, because I'll never remember to pay your bill, which is what you want. (laughs) You're right that there are options for fewer pieces of paper, but People aren't necessarily electing that. We're in the productivity realm, okay? We're of an age and younger with, you know, Gen X and the millennials, but even Gen X and definitely the boomers, if you are, let's say, 50 and above, they're less likely to say, do you want your receipt? They're just going to print you a receipt. And I think what my experience with my clients is they are still wanting those receipts. They're wanting those paper statements. I'll give you an example. I want my paper statement, even though I pay my bills electronically, because the ability to file, because my research shows that contextual knowledge, your, your cognition about the information in the paper is deeper when you can compare last July's bill to this July's bill. Oh, that water bill. Yeah, I'll be working with a client. I'm like, your water bill looks awfully high. And we can, in a snap, pull up those two pieces of paper and compare them side by side. Certainly you can do it digitally, but very often the information is only available. I had a client recently who wanted her bank statements and her bank only keeps the bank statements for the prior six months. Mm -hmm. And she was not able to- Six months. Six months. So what what you were supposed to do is go in and download- that information yourself. Now, if you're using a dashboard like Mint, I think all of my financial information for every transaction since I got on Mint maybe 14 years ago is there. So I can find out what I spent on Target 
historically. And it's always over $40 because you can't go to Target without that. You're not going to to keep that target well, received. Target blew their Canadian launch and came and left. So I don't, I don't have enough experience with Target, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm sorry. You'll just have to go to Canadian Tire. <laughs> correct, correct. Not the same. Not the same. I'm gonna say. But no, interesting. Because so I ran into a challenge personally yesterday with an absence of paper. So I remember from a tax point of view, we would say to clients, you know, keep your tax records for seven years or, you know, from your last audit, you know, or or your last filing, right? But I was getting new car insurance or switching it over to get a better rate based on the kilometers that I drive, not on, you know, just here's your car and here's your driving record, but actually a pay-as-you-go kind of insurance, which is pretty cool, I think. Anyway, when it came to assessing my driving record, I've been driving since 1985. But unless you have continuous service, they don't count it as part of your driving record, right? So they were going to count up to 20 years of pristine driving record. Because I moved from Toronto to Tokyo to Montreal and back to Toronto, the full records weren't in the Ontario, my province's database. So I was only credited 15 years worth of service. So this has not having my paper records from 2001 to 2006 when I was in Montreal and I had insurance, but can I remember who with now? Because I have to, my the onus is on me to go to that company and say, I'd like a letter of experience, please. But I can't even remember what the company is because when I downsized a few years ago from a house into my condo, I patted myself on the back for purging, getting rid of all the driver's insurance records from the past 15 years that I'd had. And so all of a sudden, there's an argument to have more than you think in terms of paper, whether you scan it and keep some kind of document or you you know who you've dealt with or something. But there's a really sorry to be so long about it. There's a really an amazing example of, oh, if I only had the paper. (laughs) And you're making the argument for me that it's not that it has to be a dead tree, that it has to be paper, but that paper, again, the information that you collect on paper can be digitized. The information that you create on paper, again, the bullet journal people really have a sense of how interacting with a pen, with crafting what's in your mind, doing a brain dump on a piece of paper, on on having visual landmarks. I think one of the problems with not using paper is that if you only use apps, you are generally dealing with something that's very uniform, okay? So every task on your to-do list looks mostly the same if you're in any app. Now you can maybe color code it, but if you are a manual person, if you if you really get into writing things, you may find that you have a, a natural inclination to print rather than handwrite something that's really important. You know, oh, all yes. Caps, all caps, okay? And With so, some square boxes around and yeah. You may use a different color. If I have something absolutely vital on today's list and it's not necessarily in 
prioritized order because I got a call that gave me something urgent to do two hours hence, I'm going to want that to stand out and I'm going to circle it. With digital, it's not sticky. It's one of those things where when you are collecting information, when you are putting it in your task list, in your calendar, anything where you are collecting information about what you have to accomplish, of what you have to understand, there's a uniformity. It's generally the same font, the same font size. You can you can maybe change the color, but you know, often you just can change the little dot, the color of the dot. So next it's not to it. A, it doesn't hold in your brain because there's not enough variation for it to stand out. It just comes a stream of the same. I think variation is a huge part of it because all the research shows that everything that we interact with, that variety is the spice of life, that when there's too much uniformity, our brains stop detecting the differences. It's the same as if you need to remember what you had for breakfast this morning. Unless you eat the same thing for breakfast every day, you eat in the same place, you're eating with the same people. But when you go on vacation, hmm. it's like I, w- yeah. I went then to you Italy. Remember. Yeah, I went to Italy four years ago and I can remember pretty much every meal I had and who was sitting where. It's because of the novelty. And there's more novelty in paper when you have the landmark on the piece of paper. If you know that you tend to write certain things in a certain way is the the Cornell note-taking method, which I know about because I went to Cornell University, but it's not just used there. And the Cornell note-taking method is this specific method where you you write down the information as it comes. And I hope we'll get to talk about note-taking because there's a great reason for using paper. I'm taking notes right now on paper, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm doing when I'm looking down here, because if I was to type on my computer, yuck, right? What a not nice audio experience for the listener. So I am taking notes so that I can let the editors know, (gasps) Julie just said Cornell note-taking method, and we probably want to put a link to that or something. We want to highlight that could be a chapter marker. Your digital is not sticky, visual (laughs) landmarks. You know, it's really powerful. It's interesting because, so Cornell note-taking, yeah, finish that thought because can you just give us a little right now, a little bit on that? So it's a visual. So if you're looking at, and for the people listening, they're, they're not necessarily going to appreciate it as much as the Cornell note-taking method. You have the large expanse of where you are taking notes. And handwriting notes is very powerful versus digital, and we'll get back to that. But then with the Cornell note-taking method, on the margin, on the left side, there is a place to write key information. So imagine you are taking a class. And you get the sense as you're going through what you're learning of the things that are the key elements, the most important things. And you have those key elements in the side. And then on the bottom, there is a section where you sort of pre-test yourself, where you write questions for deeper thinking. And so I know that there was something else you wanted to get to. So we'll, but we'll come back to note-taking because I think you're going to, we're going to get to talk about how that's so powerful. Can you listeners figure out right now why there's 124,000 words that Julie said? Because this is so riveting. And it's, yeah. So one question that came into my mind, well, what about 
remarkable. And the device for taking notes, which I'm intrigued about, but because there's no color, I have a resistance towards. Can you talk about that before we move back to what you wanted to talk about? I absolutely can because I did a nine post series on notebooks last year for my blog. And I talked about magnetic notebooks and and notebooks where you can customize all of the paper. But I also talked about the various different kinds of digital and digitized notebooks. And Remarkable is interesting. It's not entry level. You can go to the dollar store and get a black and white speckled composition notebook and you can get started. Remarkable means you're going to have the initial outlay. You're going to have to to learn some of the technology. But I love the fact that you can write as if you are writing on paper. And they say that the, the sensory input is very close to writing on paper. And, and that is absolutely key. I talk about your sensory motor experience and then also the haptic experience. Like when you turn a page, if you're holding a book and you turn a page, that's almost an opportunity for the paragraph you just read to sort of settle in your brain. There's that micro moment where what you just learned is inserting itself in your thought processes before you turn that haptic moment of of what you feel touching the paper. Just like when you do a long press on your phone, you know that something in particular is going to happen. And then these are the things, these sensory motor inputs. Yeah. And can you just tell our listeners what haptic is if they haven't heard the term before? It is a, a physical cue. It is the fact that when you do something in a sensory motor realm. So if you on TikTok, I just started on TikTok and I complained, I complained to a friend. It's like, I keep getting fed this particular category of, of videos of people complaining about customer service relations. I'm like, I don't want to watch this. I want to watch the babies and I want to watch people dancing to Lizzo. And she's like, okay, if you do a long press, you're going to feel this sort of thump in your phone. And then one of your options is that you don't want to see this thing. And then there's another place you can push and it lets you say, I don't want to see this creator, or I don't want to see more videos with this particular you get to push audio them away. You just kind of push them away with your phone, <laughs> with your thumb. So that's a sort of negative haptic experience, but Let's say you get, and I don't use Android, but I assume it's the same as with iPhone. When someone sends you a text and you want to respond, you can long press on it and get a choice of, I can, I can do a heart or I can do a thumbs up. Do you know how many things I've sent not knowing how that works? I'm like, sorry for the squiggle. Like, I have no idea. <laughs> It's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, the sensory input and the sensory experience of writing has value and we grew up with it. Um, Well, if you're of a certain age, you grew up with it, right? It's quickly evolving. And that's an interesting thing to look at in itself too, because so paper implies pen or writing instrument. And I look at the disrespect for cursive writing, which as far as I'm concerned, was one of the first productivity tools we had was to learn how to express ourselves faster in the written form. And why we don't continue to give that attention 
besides the fact it's beautiful when you learn, and I took my time to come to learning how to write in a reasonably respectable manner by copying a friend in grade seven. Um, <laughs> I, I seriously, I looked at her script and I thought, oh gosh, that is so gorgeous. And I worked to try and find my version of her writing because it was so beautiful to me. And if we look at the writing of the script people had before, you know, a hundred years ago, it's so consistent, smooth, fountain pens, fine paper, like, Oh, it's a thing of beauty. Anyway, I am rambling about my love. Can you tell I'm nerding out here? So let me add to the nerdery. Let's start with the beauty of cursive and being able to read cursive, which is important for historians to be able to look at older documents. So there's a book by Pauline Mayer called American Scripture, and it is about the writing of the Declaration of Independence. Okay? And in that book, you get a typewritten version of the changes made to the Declaration of Independence. So Thomas Jefferson wrote his version, then they went to the Continental Congress and they discussed, okay, well, hey, you didn't put anything in about fishing rights and you didn't put anything about God. And so they had to add uh, the phrase divine pro with a reliance on divine providence. And so you can see in her book, the strike throughs and, 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 things written. But if you look at a copy of, then you can, you can Google it. You can see what Thomas Jefferson's original handwriting looked like and what all of the edits that the person, you know, Thomas Jefferson wasn't writing the actual edits. There, there was a secretary of Congress who, as they went line by line, was making the changes. So you have the beauty of your grade seven friend in her writing and the way you came to write it. it we have what historians are able to see and what might they might not be able to comprehend if they don't learn cursive writing. And there's something that happens when you handwrite something that does not happen when you type. So I've been fascinated by the research that shows that when, let's say you're in a class or you're at a NAPO or POC conference and somebody is speaking and you are taking notes, the instinct when you are typing is to transcribe what the person is saying. So you become a stenographer. And what happens is you are writing down exactly what the person says as quickly as possible. You may miss some word because you can type quickly. You cannot handwrite as quickly as someone can speak. And so you are forced to translate instead of transcribe. All of the nuance of what the person says goes from their mouth to your ears, to your brain. And you say, okay, brain, you have a split second to write the words you need before she's going on to this next topic. And so, as I said, with the Cornell note-taking method, with any personalized note-taking method, when you're handwriting, you are not transcribing. And it would be to your disservice if you tried to transcribe what somebody was saying. Instead, you translate it partially into your own words, into your own cognition skill base, so that when you go back and read your notes. So I tell people, not all notes need to be handwritten, but the notes where you need deep knowledge as opposed to just functional information. So if you're in a meeting 
with a group of colleagues, okay? You're on a task force or a committee. You can open up an Evernote page and type in and just type, these are the action items that I'm responsible for, or these are the action items everybody's responsible for, and these are, are the forthcoming dates. You can pick and choose what you need because you're only trying to capture the essentials. But if you want deep knowledge, then you're going to want to handwrite. But to go back to Evernote, one of the advantages of technology is optical character recognition. You can handwrite something and then digitize it. You can scan it. Evernote, many other, and again, I'm an Evernote person, but many other options exist that once you scan something, optical character recognition will allow you to search. Search is the biggest advantage that digital has over paper. Because if I have a file folder filled with papers, and I may know the date that I wrote something, and of course, I always write the date over in the corner, just like you did in first grade, that you wrote your name at the top and the date on, on, on the edge. Well, what are you talking about, Julie? June 21st. Here we are. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> they taught you well. I'm with you. So if you if you do this, if you acquire your information, you put it all on paper, you can recognize your landmarks on a particular page. But when you have lots of paper, well, that's where nomenclature comes in. That's like how many, how you're going to name the labels on your folders and you're going to have, have things filed. But if you have lots of paper in lots of files, it's not going to be as easy to quickly find the information as you can if it's digitized. That's where scanning, that's where optical character recognition comes in. So when people say, oh, Julie, she's the paper doll. She only does paper. But a hybrid system is important with your calendaring. You know, I have a hybrid system where I still use a paper planner, okay? The paper planner works great for appointments, for any place I have to leave my office and go to, whether it's a dental appointment or I'm going to see a client. But I use a digital calendar in the office. I use my Outlook calendar that's related to my email for when I have something that is time-specific and I often say seat-specific. I needed to meet you today. And so I needed the Zoom link to be able to meet you. So I add the email, which is linked to the little blurb in my digital calendar. If I'm sitting here, it pops up 30 minutes in advance and says, hey, you're going to see Claire. Yay! And we're all set. And I have everything that I need. Evernote has this new thing where you can link your Google calendar to your Evernote and you can set it up so that it automatically opens a note with the essentials of what time and who's invited and who's going to be part of the meeting and, and the, the Zoom information or, or if it's some other platform. And then it starts to provide you automatically with a space to keep your agenda. That's great. Because right now I open a Word document because I, I was having too much paper and I'm more much more computer-based now. So I take notes for these interviews because of the sound issue. But otherwise, when I'm coaching people, I've been taking notes on my computer. But here's the thing I just tried. I just tried transcription. And I don't need to take all the notes. 
But I like having the notes, I realized. I like having my synthesis, interpretation, translation of what has just been said to the salient, triaged points. And I'm not going to take notes to the same level I took them before, but I'm still going to take notes <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm coaching someone. I think, Claire, what we've proven is what we tell our clients all the time, that what you should do is what works for you. That commitment to a system, and whether that's a paper system or a digital system or a hybrid system that you develop yourself, it's the commitment to that system so that you can trust the system, so that you will consistently perform in the same way so that you know where to find something. So it's like, if you always put your keys in a different place in the house, you know, you might lose your keys. If you always put your keys, (laughs) if you always put your keys in the same little bowl, it's like, it doesn't matter if you've got a hook or a bowl, but if you're consistent in, and it's in the same place, well, it's the same thing with paper versus digital versus hybrid. Let me just bring you back to paper doll and let's just talk for a minute because this has been a really rich half hour of deep diving, nerding out about paper. Can you tell I've loved every second of it? But I don't think I know the story of why you're called paper doll. Can you share it with us? Well, I would love to say that it has something to do with the paper dolls, you know, from childhood, you know, the the 1940s. I know that that my mom, who some of the people listening who who've known me in in Napo for a long time, know that I refer on the blog to my mom as paper mommy. So she's paper mommy on Twitter as well. And she played with paper dolls as a child. But what it really came from was when I decided that I was going to blog before I had a blog on my own website back in the days when Ramona Creel had online organizing. And I was part of a sort of sub project with her to develop people's blogs on her platform. And I was trying to figure out how I could set myself apart, even though I did residential home office and small business. I said, I really think I want to blog about paper, but I want to do it with some sort of style. And I kept thinking of His Girl Friday, the Cary Grant, Rosalind Russell movie from, I guess, the late 30s or early 40s. And I was like, I want to be like, Paper broad, paper doll. I want to, I want, you know, I kept kind of trying to come paper up. Paper doll, girl. That's what you want to be already, huh? Yeah, <laughs> like a paper doll. All right. <laughs> exactly. I wanted something that had a sort of personality to it. Something, something kind of 1930s, 1940s. And it's like, and broad, broad. That's has, so has swell, been, darling. Swell. But yeah, it, it, is, it is swell. And, it is and, swell. And the, the 1940s connotation, I thought, well, guys and dolls. And, and I sort of came to it from that. So I became a paper doll because I felt like I'm a girl out of time. Everybody else is talking about organizing digitally. I want to talk about paper. It's like, what? I'm like this 1940s. You rebel. So I'm like, I'm, I belong in these screwball comedies. I'm a paper doll, guys and dolls. And I that's, love that's it. There's it. such a retro, like you were retro before thinking retro was cool. <laughs> that's, that, that's me because I'm always on the cutting edge of cool. That's right. <laughs> I love it. That's enlightening. Julie, you've brought so much to light around the continued value of paper, how it really helps ideas stick in our brains, how we're 
we're highly sensitive, sensual creatures. So we need, you know, we need to not have an absence of that in all of our interactions in the world, right? And so I'm a, I'm a big fan of your work and encourage everyone to check out your blog and your writing. And anybody that loves paper had better do it because there's such a wealth of information there. We're going to, for sure, record a bonus conversation for the YouTube channel. So if you're not watching on YouTube, definitely check out Napo's podcast standout on YouTube. You can meet all of the guests with a little more personality, make paper doll in person and see what she see what she looks like and how she smiles so radiantly. So definitely come back for that. Julie, I want to thank you so much for joining me here and diving into this topic, which is near and dear to my heart too. I remember living in Tokyo and I don't know if you've ever been there, but there's a stationery store, Itoya. Five stories, five stories. You could lose yourself in the paper and pens for days. So maybe one day that can be a, a destination trip. <laughs> when I went to Italy and then when, when I went to the UK, I think other people wanted, wanted to look at cathedrals and I wanted to look at stationery stores. <laughs> W.H. Smith, when I grew up there, that was, you know, that was the local stationery store. Absolutely. In, in Italy, the paper. Oh, my gosh. One of my favorite planners was paper from Italy with a leather cover. And you could buy the inserts. I mean, oh. When I was in college, my roommate was a friend from high school and she was from Italy. And our first year in school, her aunt sent us each un diario agenda. I've been studying Italian for four years, and that's the closest I can get to, to the accent, one word at a time. And they were these beautiful, some, one year they were leather, but usually the, these cloth, very elegant, almost buttery covers on these beautiful open space calendars written in Italian. And it, that started my affection for the Italian language, but continued my affection for handwriting because you could use it for journaling, for calendaring, for note taking. And, and, you know, obviously I have a lot of words inside of me. And so I have a passion for putting those words on paper and no. digital. <laughs> yeah. So come meet us over in the YouTube video, because I want to ask you about your favorite and not so favorite papers. And I want to know about your favorite pen. So I'm going to let you go here and just thank you again for joining me. And I hope all of you listeners out there really enjoyed this exploration of why paper still matters as COVID is still out there. And we need to be cognizant of how we're taking care of ourselves and taking care of others. Please be kind, stay safe and enjoy your journey. That's all for today's episode of Stand Out, brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.